All right. Joining us for another episode of the CTO Advisor is a multi-return guest. I've had Rob Hirschfield, CEO of Rackin, on a few different times. And the theme of our conversations usually end up around platform teams. His product, Rackin, enables platform teams at the edge. But I think what is a common problem is what happens when we throw developer-centric problems over to, we can call it operations, we can call it platform teams, whatever you want to call it. When we throw it over the fence to those teams, what happens? Rob, welcome back to the program. Keith, it's amazing to be back. I'm, I'm really looking forward to this conversation. It's, it's something that's been top of mind uh, in a lot of ways for years and years, but you're right. With platform team conversations finally starting up, it's it's definitely coming to the fore. Yeah, so let's give the audience some history around this. I like to give Rob free CTO advice. He's a CEO. I'm a CTO advisor. So a CTO advisor giving a CEO uh, free advice, take it, you know, kind of with with that with with that warranty. Like if he comes back and he says, Keith, this didn't work out. Hey, you know what? You're a CEO. I'm a CTO advisor, and the advice was free. So the uh, a point we want to make is that this is an output of a conversation we had way back at AWS reInvent a couple of months ago. I was Rob was showing me his product and talking about the transformation that developers have to use to make it. And I said, man, Rob, what would be really great is if you gave me a AWS CLI into the product. That is the oversimplification of it. So that developers, if they're AWS centric, they don't have to change their preferred programming interface. They can continue to use the programming interface they love. And as a application uh, platform team or a support team, I can change the back end as much as I want. That's the theory, Rob. That's, let's that's, that's about the, the goal. Well, this is this is the challenge, right? And you know, I think from from my perspective, right, you get to whisper to my customers, CTOs, right, and 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 tell them how to maximize the value of their investments, and which is really what we're always talking about. And the challenge that we've had is for the last several years, and I don't see this stopping. We have talked to the application development teams or app dev teams, right? So when, when we talk about developers, we're talking about the application development teams. And we've told them to be productive, be independent, go do the work you need to do, right? Operations get out of their way. You're just you're just slowing them down. Make it, make it work. And in a lot of cases, what that's translated into is those teams using tools like Terraform to build infrastructure or AWS CLI to build infrastructure. And while that works really good for the app dev teams, when the CTO or really the CIO turns around and says, hey, wait a second, I need, you know, you operations are accountable for how all this infrastructure got set up. Now that that team says, <laughs> hold on a second, I, I don't even know what commands you're running to set that <laughs> up, I, right? It's you're totally in the dark let alone this idea that I'm trying to help 10 teams and they're all running it from their desktops or from their clients, right? So, so you, don't, you can't even tell what people are doing. So you might have somebody who uses Terraform to set up an infrastructure and then runs a script on their desktop to finish that job. 
how do you, you know, that that's that it's hard to put that toothpaste back in the tube. Yeah, we're 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 going through these growing pains again when we're trying to perfect cloud-based operations. Mm-hmm. We can parallel the platform team to the infrastructure team of 10 years ago. If storage costs got out of control, we could look towards our storage vendors to give us an innovation like deduplication. And instead of having each storage each application team go back and rewrite code to optimize for the various storage realities, cost realities, from an operations team, we could just turn on dedupe and magically we're using uh, a tenth less storage than we were before because we've reduced the du- the duplicate records on a storage array. Right. That is extremely hard to do in the cloud when one person uses Terraform to describe their infrastructure. Another one uses cloud formations. Another one just does it by hand using the AWS CLI. And let's not get into multiple clouds. This is a single cloud problem and developers, different teams choosing different methodologies. So I kind of came up with the brilliant original idea. I'm going to say no one ever thought about this before. (laughs) Rob, why don't you just create a a CLI um, proxy? Let's just for better, lack of a better word, a proxy that would take those developers who want to describe their edge infrastructure or their infrastructure they're rebuilding over and over again. They want to describe it in CLI. Why don't we just make the translation for them? This is a typical thing they'll get thrown over to the platform group. And and the thing that you described, I I want to explain what, what, what we built, because I I think that'll help people sort of figure out all the, how all these pieces go. But, but the, the way I heard that use case is I want to take an existing API or uh, AWS CLI call that I, that I've, I'm using in a code or in script or on my desktop. And without having to change that call, I want to be able to proxy it or control it through another platform or through, for Rust, for, through Digital Rebar and through the Digital Rebar platform. And the, the key thing, one of the key takeaways here to me was that it needed to not change the API from a, from a user perspective. So if I've written a bash script and I've embedded AWS CLI in that script on my machine, or it's in a task in GitHub or a, Git, a GitHub action or a GitLab, GitLab task, Right, I want to be able to substitute that command without having to worry about the script failing. So it has to be able to have, you know, fidelity. And and this is I, this is a specific case, but I think this is a universal example. And I, I, and this is why we're having you on. This is why this is not a sponsored podcast because this is a universal problem. I hear this over and over and over again. Started at the beginning of my career when I went to the CIO of the Chicago Tribune, I said, we're running out of storage array space. And the CIO told me this is 25 years ago. He said, Keith, storage array space, hard disks are cheaper than file cabinets. Buy more storage. (laughs) Right. And back then I didn't have the experience and language to explain why that's not the solution. It will help mitigate some of the problem. Yes, sometimes the answer is to buy more storage, 
But other times, the answer is to change the overall process. And the problem with changing the overall process is changing user habits, whether those users are developers or those users are end users, changing end user uh, habits are extremely difficult. So when we can do it on the back end, it can be helpful. However, that was kind of our pie in the sky conversation back yep. at reInvent. You went back and you built the thing. What I did. happened? Uh, so <laughs> this is and this is what's exciting. Um, so we built a script. Uh, it's a Bash script that literally takes. It's it's called AWS.sh. Very clever naming. But it literally just passes whatever the parameters are into that script. So instead of AWS EC2 discover instances, I can type, you know, AWS.sh uh, discover instance, EC2 discover instances. And what it what it does is it sends it creates a job in digital rebar, what we call a work order. That work order runs, we have a DRP CLI um, broker that just runs the DR, uh, sorry, the AWS CLI. So it's an AWS CLI broker. We pass that in as a task to run that command on the AWS CLI running in a digital rebar instance. And then from there, it runs the command using the credentials in digital rebar rather than the user's AWS credentials. So there's a proxy benefit here and takes those results, packages it up as a return parameter and sends it back to the user. So from the user's perspective, that AWS.sh is calling the AWS CLI, but it's doing it inside of digital rebar. Um, and one of the nice things is because it creates a work order for that, it creates a job for that, it creates a task, it's audited. You could actually start adding different parameters and checks. You could say, you know what, you're not allowed to do anything but the EC2 um, CLI here, or you're not allowed to run these extra commands. Or if you run certain commands, I want to set a log or an alert or generate additional events. Um, so all those things become possible around what would ultimately just be an exact syntax substitute for the AWS CLI. So people may be asking like, okay, I, I don't grok the value of this. Uh, let's, 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 let me kind of tell you why I asked for it. I'm not a user of digital rebar. I'm, I'm abstracting the way why I want this. Why I want this, because I think from a managed service provider lens, if I'm a managed service provider and I'm servicing multiple customers, AWS environments, and I get to the point where I have leverage, I have some scale and I'm getting some cost redundancies, I can now do one of two things. I can proxy all of those requests to my same AWS account and get the advantages of the reduced pricing without changing the interface for my individual customers. Each one has their context within in this platform, in this case, digital rebar. Each one has their context. And then I can continue that abstraction into my managed service provider offering, or I can do something a little bit different. I can make an API compatible solution on premises. And now instead of servicing the request via AWS resources, I can, if I have some Gen 7, Gen 8 hardware that's going to do the, the job, and this is all, you know, basically free to me equipment, why not? 
And the from a developer experience, it's a it's a one to one experience. Is, is is that thinking valid? It you know there's there's definitely the you know each cloud and every every system has unique syntaxes. So so it's very hard to make a universal AWS to something else translator. But but what what this lets you do is you can actually start looking at what the calls people are actually making are and then saying, oh, wait a second, They're, they need these actions. Let me provide those actions. So there's an audit capability. And there's also a, there is an opportunity to rewrite the task and then and redirect the task. But you have to have an API abstraction point to capture that. So what what you're describing to me is a very real use case of I'm running these AWS CLI, and we're using this as a proxy. It's nice and concrete, but I'm running a action inside of a broader workflow. I want to be able to audit it, check it, uh, redirect it if I need to, conform its security. Um, one of the things that I get excited about is I could actually do a dev test prod type of work where the script we're using could actually be uh, behind the scenes redirected to dev instances or prod instances, right? And you can actually have the same script now used in different cases, in multiple cases, and, and the infrastructure's code repeatability of your infrastructure starts going way, way up. Um, all of these are, are important uh, interaction points that are not easy to replicate from just the AWS CLI, right? And or, or any the, CLI, right? It's, and it's these are surprising. great insights. So let's, you know, extract away even from the digital rebar use case. I love nice. this listening mode. You know, we look at the 238 services that are in AWS. The reality <laughs> is what? The average organization might use 10, if not that. And of those 10, when you drill down and say, okay, I want to recreate some of these services or uh, a subset of it. Well, let's look at EC2, you know, of EC2. Am I using the different, I don't know if, it, I don't know if it's a, with the sizes, with a combination of size and type, if there's more than, I think there's more than a hundred different size and type combinations. Actually, well, actually I think, I think they crossed over to a thousand just of instance types. So not even just flavors, of, right? Uh, of instance types. Do I need to recreate every form of that instance type? Can I just proxy that these, that basically we use 20 different instant, uh, EC2 types and I can recreate those EC2 types on-prem via my on-prem hypervisor uh, of mm -hmm. choice. It doesn't really matter. I can look to see, okay, developers in their development environments almost always go to these three different types. I can do that on-prem and not recreate a bill. When they push it to production, they use these eight different types. We're going to continue to push those to production on AWS, but these other ones we're going to service on-prem. That is kind of the goal. But as me and you discussed last week, there are unique problems because uh, you yeah. get into, even in that limited set, you get into edge cases. You do, and and it one of the things that I think is interesting as a platform team or an operations team is coming in, you know, where you can, you know, it's where and how you can support people as they're coming into these systems is actually a really important component to consider. Um, so there's edge cases in 
how things get mapped between different infrastructures, right? You can't just take um, an AWS call and automatically map it into an on-premises call, a bare metal machine or a VMware machine, um, VM. The, those, those mappings do require a certain amount of understanding and how they work. Um, but one of the things that I find is just how do you answer the phone when somebody says they have a problem? And can mm. they replicate the can they replicate the challenge? Right. One of the things that's interesting about edge cases is that a lot of times an edge case ends up being something where you need real expertise or support to help resolve what that problem is. And so part of the the value in this is you actually want to be able to get your experts on the line, have them duplicate exactly what happens, see the logging, figure out what what went into that circumstance. And then ideally replicate it um, and even more ideally provide guardrails like you've been describing for the next pass on this. Because um, right, it would be really easy to write a series of commands that can't execute because somebody doesn't have the right permissions. They're not in the right VPC. They don't have right the, AMI, the AMIs, AMIs that they're using for the machines don't exist in the regions that they're trying to execute them on, right? There's huge numbers of failure possibilities and how all this stuff gets gets fit together. Um, and I think one of, if you're listening to this and you're thinking through, wow, I could proxy between cloud providers. We One of the terms we use in our conversation <laughs> yeah. is super cloud. This is the beginnings of creating a super cloud. Developers all develop in AWS, CLI, or Terraform. Pick your preferred language to describe your infrastructure's code environment. You settle on one form and then that form can be reapplied across multiple cloud providers on the platform group side. You can now proxy and say, oh, I can intercept a request that was going for AWS and now I can send that request to Azure. That was how I was thinking from a market texture and drawing this out perspective. But we got into some of the details about that. The, <laughs> Rob, talk, yeah. talk to me what happens when I request the AWS machine from Azure in a, and we proxy that request. You know, it, it's, it's interesting because at some level, machines are machines are machines, mm-hmm. um, which is which is. You know, thankful. <laughs> I'm thankful that that when you're running a Linux machine, you know, of of a certain flavor and OS distribution, um, that OS distribution usually translates pretty well cloud to cloud, you know, on premises, off premises, bare metal edge, wherever you are. There's certain certain components that you can take for granted once you get into a certain OS. Unfortunately, we're still in a very heterogeneous world where if you're using Amazon's Linux, it's different than Oracle Linux, than CentOS Linux, than uh, Ubuntu Linux, right? You, you, you know, you can't app, app, app get install, can't even app get installed across all the, all the uh, Debian distros anymore. Um, so we do have some real, we do have some real differences. Um, you know, it, and this is, this is the challenge. I actually like to describe this as a fruitcake instead of a layer cake. Mm. People want, people want, uh, nice clean layers, like oh, the storage layer is different, is the same, and the the OS layer is the same, and all that. But it it doesn't actually work like that. Like how a disk gets set up or a network gets set up actually has to be accounted for throughout the layers above that. Um, you you actually have to account for differences between the systems. But but 
to your point, if I can say, if somebody says, give me a uh, Alma Linux machine of a certain generation, then I can get that from pretty much anywhere, put an SSH key on it and give it back to you. Um, with And you can say, I want this much RAM and this much storage. And you can abstract that successfully across pretty much every platform that you that that we encounter, which is every every environment. Um, the challenge becomes, and now we're straight back to our proxy case, the way you ask for that and the, the syntax you use to build that generic unit is highly variable across the across the clouds. Even within yeah, the something clouds. as simple as machine ID. If you inventory yeah. off a of machine ID, if you create some type of sock uh uh pipeline based off of the machine ids you've you've kind of figured out the identifiers within the aws machine ids and you build some process on that well an azure machine id is going to look very different than uh a aws machine id which looks different than a g and then the gcp machine id the, and the and even how you ID. figure even how you figure out which which machine ID you have is variant across. The I was just about to say because the machine ID field may not even be the same field across cloud providers, so that metadata problem becomes a operational issue because these unique identifiers, just operationally, we we uh, us op guys we optimize based on the on the things we can optimize on and machine id ironically becomes one of those things that become critical unintendedly yes so rob we we talk about this stuff all the time i uh, was just talking to a young cto and he was saying that he just doesn't have relationships and i'm thinking man rob used to run this this weekly thing called uh uh uh, cloud 2030. We're surprisingly yep. getting a little close to that. We might need to push out to, to cloud 2040. <laughs> uh, if people want to engage with, they want to like bounce yeah. ideas off of you. How do how do they find you? How do they engage we, with you? We we are still having a weekly DevOps lunch and learn roundtable, and it it really is a roundtable. People bring topics and we discuss it. Um, and I love the format because we spend 15 minutes completely off agenda, and then. Um, usually we'll try and jump back to some, some planned topic of the day, which is, you know, some Kubernetes or platform engineering or API design, classic DevOps stuff. Um, people can find out more about it at, at dot the 2030.cloud. So it's, um, I couldn't get, uh, cloud 2030, but t- the 2030.cloud, um, we post the agenda for that. We actually also do a broader strategy breakfast where we talk about, much more esoteric topics like metadata context for artificial intelligence data gathering um, and the the future of uh, internet regulations. Both are important. Um, but they're, they're great places to engage and ask questions like this. Very pragmatic. Um, and generally what I describe as 201 level uh, type stuff. So not, you know, how do I use Terraform, but oh my God, I'm using Terraform and I've gotten to a point where it's really hard and difficult to scale because you know I'm storing the files in different places or I've got 100 copies of the same plan and I don't know what to do. That, that those are, which are very real, right? Everything we're talking about is an acknowledgement that cloud complexity is real. Um, and you, know, you have to be deliberate in how you scale it. 
but that's the cloud 2030 conversations go, go, go to that. Um, a lot of fun, very casual. Yeah. And I've, I, I don't attend as many as I want, but every time I attend one, I learn something new It's a eclectic folk from the super technical, like Rob to the less technical, like me. And it's a really, really great conversation. If you want to learn more about the CTO advisor, you can follow us on the web, the CTO advisor.com. Uh, you can at me on Twitter at CTO advisor. I'm just looking at, uh, Rob's, uh, feed out his window and it looks like he's getting a package. So Rob will let you go. Talk to you next episode of the CTO advisor. Keith, thank you. It's been a pleasure.